Welcome to Socially Distant, Spiritually Close, a podcast dedicated to exploring the biggest spiritual questions of this complex and challenging moment. I'm your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Well, Shana Tova, Happy New Year. Uh, I uh, apologize uh, to, uh, to, to members of the congregation who were uh, trying to log on uh, to this dialogue uh, in real time during the course of Rosh Hashanah morning services. We were having um, some technical difficulties uh, getting it uh, underway. Uh, and so instead, what, uh, what we're going to do uh, is uh, uh, I'm here with uh, my good friend, Pastor David Dwight from Hope Church. Uh, and we're going to uh, have the conversation that we were uh, planning on having uh, with a live studio audience or a virtual studio audience, I guess, I guess I should say. Uh, but we're gonna just uh, do it together. Uh, and then we will uh, share this video with, uh, with whoever might be interested in uh, seeing it uh, uh, sometime after the holiday. So um, David, good morning. Good morning. Thanks for having me, Michael. It's great to be together and do this together. Thanks for being here. It's so good to see you. You too. Just, I was just commenting that, uh, you know, uh, everybody uh, made some serious and difficult choices in the course of the pandemic. And, and, you know, men, generally speaking, either kind of opted to let it all hang out with their hair <laughs> or, to, uh, or to cut pretty close to the grain. And, and uh, David opted for the latter choice, but, I, but he's looking good. You're looking slick. You're looking uh, aerodynamic. Yeah, um, I also am cold because I had no idea that you feel so much temperature through your head. <laughs> yeah, so it turns out that's what my mom always told me. I had to wear a hat in the winter because all the heat escapes through your head, apparently. Right, right. I'd heard that, but it's a chilly morning today. And I went outside and I thought, whoa, it's really cold. <laughs> uh, well, it's, it's good to see you uh, with or without hair. Um, <laughs> yeah, thank you. And, uh, and, and wanted to spend a little bit of time uh, talking about uh, some of the uh, Torah readings, some of the biblical uh, scriptural passages that uh, the that rabbinic tradition uh, invites uh, Jews to reflect on for Rosh Hashanah morning. Uh, you know, and in particular, wanted to uh, look at them through the prism of not, you know, not only what these texts have to offer us uh, for um, thinking about approaching a new year, thinking about the year that's passed, thinking about the year that we uh, want to, uh, to, to uh, build in the, in, in the time ahead. Uh, and, and also the fact that Rosh Hashanah uh, and the High Holy Day season in general is, is generally understood to be a, a season of tshuva, a season of, uh, it's the Hebrew word for repentance. So where we try to look honestly at, at our lives and, and evaluate you know, where we've been um, and uh, the ways in which we, we might need to change. Uh, we might need to change course and, and forge new directions. Um, and, and so we want to hold that and also the reality that we're in, still in the midst of this really difficult, um, challenging, um, you know, extraordinary in, in many ways uh, uh, season, you know, era in, in history and in, in time in, in our lives uh, where we've been now uh, in, in various forms of uh, lockdown or um, stay at home uh, orders for the coronavirus pandemic for, for uh, over six months now uh, and uh, with, with no end in sight really. Uh, and, uh, and so it's 
you know, there, there's all sorts of challenges um, that, uh, that, that come from that kind of experience, um, but also maybe lessons as well, uh, opportunities for learning and growth from it. And so we wanted to see if there were uh, insights from, from this morning's Torah reading um, that might, uh, uh, or the holiday itself that might help us uh, think about that. Um, so uh, rabbinic tradition gives us Genesis chapter 21 to reflect on uh, for Rosh Hashanah or for the first day of Rosh Hashanah. Uh, the second day of Rosh Hashanah, we read Genesis chapter 22, which is um, perhaps better known and uh, and more dramatic, the, the story of the binding of Isaac. We can touch on that too, if you like, but, uh, but I want to uh, think about Genesis 21 first. And just to set the stage, um, uh, Abraham and Sarah, the, the patriarch and matriarch of the Jewish people are unable to have a, a child together. Uh, and uh, that's a problem because God has promised that Abraham will be the, uh, and Sarah will be the parents of, uh, of a great nation. Uh, and so uh, Sarah instructs Abraham uh, to take her Egyptian maidservant, her, her slave Hagar, uh, and uh, to uh, and to uh, get her pregnant uh, and to have a child with her. And so uh, Abraham does, and, and Hagar becomes pregnant, and they have a child they name Ishmael. Uh, and uh, for a while, maybe 13 years, depending on your read of the text, uh, uh, Ishmael is the only child in the household uh, until miraculously Sarah is able to conceive. Uh, she, it's such, it's, it's so unprecedented that she's able to conceive because she and Abraham are both in advanced age at that point that she, uh, that, that she bursts into laughter, uh, uh, when, when she hears that she's going to be pregnant and then ends up naming the child, um, uh, after the laughter, uh, named Isaac, uh, which means, and he laughed, uh, and, uh, and so, uh, they're raising Isaac, uh, in their household, uh, Sarah sees, uh, Ishmael engaged in some undefined immoral act uh, and uh, instructs Abraham to send away Hagar and Ishmael. So the, the, uh, the story uh, focuses on their exile, um, on how Hagar and Ishmael are sent into the wilderness. Uh, they wander around in the wilderness uh, and they're about to die. They run out of water. They're about to die. Hagar places Ishmael under a bush uh, because, and she goes away at a distance because she doesn't want to watch her son die. Uh, and uh, then all of a sudden she bursts into tears and all of a sudden an angel comes uh, and says, uh, what troubles you, Hagar? Uh, uh, fear not, for, I, for God has heard the voice of the boy crying from where he is. Uh, and, uh, and then opens Hagar's eyes uh, and she sees a well of water. She takes water. She gives water to Ishmael. They, they're revived. Uh, and, uh, and then we have uh, essentially a sort of like happily ever after coda sort of to the story that, uh, that Hagar and Ishmael settle uh, in the land of their ancestors and, and Ishmael um, grows to be uh, what is promised of him, uh, a, a, uh, also a, a father of a, a great nation. Uh, so that's the setting, that's the Torah portion. And I guess my question to you, David, is what do you make of that story? And, and in particular, like what resonance does it have for you either as we approach a, the Jewish New Year or in this time of coronavirus? Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so in preparation for today, I've spent a bit of time reading through this chapter, but then also refreshing my memory on a lot of the surrounding chapters to get it in context. And of course, like my brain explodes with so many different things that are going on here. Um, the idea that God, of course, has this covenant with Abraham 
and he'll be faithful to the covenant, um, even in ways that seem impossible to us. But, but God, as, as God often does, proves himself faithful to his promises. And frequently in the Bible, we have God making a promise, us having, uh, us thinking it's impossible to fulfill, and then God fulfilling the promise in ways that we would have thought were not possible. So to me, that's a macro uh, storyline. Um, when we think of a new year, when we reflect on life, um, if we think about repentance or we think about hope, at some level, I put it in a very big narrative framework that says God has a redemptive plan. He works this plan through his covenantal promise we frequently come to points in our life and in our journey where we think it's not going to work. The plan and the promise are going to die out because the circumstances seem impossible. And then God works in ways that we could never have imagined to continue the faithfulness of this, this covenantal promise. So to me, that's a very macro storyline. There's so many little pieces. This idea of laughter, we could get into that a hundred ways. Because I think laughter appears in several places. I think Abraham is the first one who laughs when God tells him he's going to have a son. Then Sarah laughs. And then after he's born, we talk about laughter again. And you wonder, you know, laughter comes in different forms. There's the kind of a laughter of cynicism. There's a laughter of joy. There's a laughter of humor. And you know, the text doesn't give us all the specifics of what are the nuances behind the laughter. So we could explore that. But to me, I also think you have these incredible encounters where God proves himself faithful to his promises. There are very human challenges in the story, right? I think many of us know that um, Abraham and Sarah were promised. Uh, a son, but they can't see the way this promise is going to be fulfilled. So as we often do as human beings, we kind of decide to take it into our own hands and come up with our own solution. And so the solution is that Abraham would sleep with Hagar to be able to create a child and have offspring. Um, the story renders that that doesn't go well relationally. Uh, Hagar uh, has contempt for Sarah. Sarah has contempt for Hagar. And this is maybe a sidebar, but I remember years ago talking to a friend of mine who's a biblical scholar, and I said, you know, I don't know any place in the scriptures where God absolutely clearly defines monogamy as his intended design for marriage. And my friend said, I agree with you, but look at every single situation where it wasn't monogamous and it's a train wreck. So he's like, if we're smart enough to pay attention to the consequences of a bad idea, then we could see that, that it just never goes well. And I remember thinking that's sort of amusing, but yeah, it doesn't go well with Hagar and Sarah. Oh, that's right. Yeah, they, uh, a, prohibi a prohibition only has to uh, prohibit the thing that you would want to do, right? So, <laughs> right. If you don't, if like, if it's not a good idea, like, I have no interest in that. I don't need to. It doesn't need to be prohibited. Right. I mean, like, if I'm a if I'm a little kid, if I'm like seven or eight years old, and I touch the hot stove and I burn myself, and then I think, 
why did my parents never tell me not to do this? I'm like, well, maybe the consequences are their own instructor. Um, but I think, you know, there's such a vast story here with Isaac and with Ishmael. And if I'm not mistaken, um, Islam takes its lines back through Ishmael. So you have this fascinating storyline, human storyline, geopolitical storyline that goes back to these two young men. Um, I read this morning again, I tried to read it as closely as I could. And if I, if, if it, if I read it right, Abraham has a celebration on the occasion of Isaac's weaning from his mother. Yeah. And it says Ishmael mocked him. Now Ishmael maybe was about 13 years old at the time. We have to connect so many dots here that I right. wouldn't speak of this stuff authoritatively. It's just trying to sort of connect the dots. Yeah, you know, it's uh, uh, the, the word that's used there. I was thinking about this as you were talking before about the laughter, because the Hebrew of, uh, of, of what he does there is misachek, uh, uh, which uh, which which means playing, and so it's it's unclear what he's doing. The the traditional Jewish commentators um, talk about you know he was worshiping idols, he was committing murder, he was committing some kind of like uh, uh, you know act of sexual immorality, uh, and there are indeed places in the uh, other places in the Bible where that word is used in each of those contexts, but it's yeah. also a very closely related word to mitzachek in Hebrew, which means laughter. Uh, and so I think mocking could very well be what Ishmael is doing there. And that's what you said, you know, like laughter can take many forms, right? Laughter can be cynicism. Laughter can be, um, uh, you know, sarcasm. Laughter can be uh, exasperation, uh, you know, or laughter can be uh, joy. And, and we don't, you know, there's, there's such ambiguity uh, in, in that. And I guess the, the question that I would have for you is, um, you know, in, in, in times of trial, like the one that, that many of us have found ourselves in over, over the past few months. Um, you know, how do we find opportunity for laughter, uh, for, for joyful laughter, or even like sort of resigned laughter that we're just going to, um, you know, accept what is, uh, uh, rather than the laughter of, of cynicism? Uh, because I think it's so easy to become cynical right now. Yeah. So. Um to try to get to where you are. So Hagar and Ishmael go out into the desert and then they find themselves without water. And then God provides a way. And in chapter 22, we have the binding of Isaac and this uh, excruciating uh, test of faith for Abraham. And then God provides a way with the ram in the thicket. And so when I read this, I think um, our circumstances speak loudly to us. And of course, we are experiencing our circumstances. I think one very macro thread of the, of the Bible is, will we find our identity and our personhood and our satisfaction in our circumstances or in God. Hmm. And oftentimes 
we interpret God as a result of our circumstances. So if our circumstances are hard, it's tempting to say, God isn't with me, God is bad, uh, God is negligent or whatever. And we're sort of interpreting God based on our circumstances. I think an, uh, an invitation from the scriptures would be to interpret our circumstances based on who we know God is. So in these situations, God proves himself faithful. He proves himself to continue the promise and his covenant and his faithfulness over and above the difficult circumstances. And yet he doesn't relieve us of experiencing the difficult circumstances. So this is sort of part of the journey, I think, of life. And um, about a year ago, we did a sermon series that we called What Happens in Deserts. And there are so many in what we would call the Old Testament accounts of uh, deep and profound faith experiences when people are in the desert. Mm. But if you use the desert even as a metaphor, desert times in life, times when life feels dry, waterless, barren, what happens in these times? And frequently in the scriptures, people have these remarkable experiences with God when he meets them in the deserts. Yeah, I think that that's so profound, uh, especially because the vast majority of the, the what we call the Torah, the Pentateuch, the five books of Moses, the vast majority of that text takes place in the wilderness, in the desert, right? right? right. So uh, almost almost everything from uh, the middle of Exodus through the book of Deuteronomy is in the desert. The Israelites don't get to the promised land uh, at the end of the of the Pentateuch. Um, and, and even, you know, a good portion of, uh, of, of Genesis and Exodus, you know, actually takes place uh, in different scenes and settings in, in the wilderness. So the, the majority of the, of the Torah is set in the desert. And I think that it's exactly, you know, what you're saying that, that in so many ways that that's our world and that's our lives, right? That the, you know, the un, unpredictable and, uh, and, and tumultuous uh, and dangerous uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, and, and fraught and uncertain. Um, uh, so, you know, so, so I think that what the Torah is coming to do is remind us that, you know, that, that in fact, like, this is just the world that we live in. And yeah. so in that kind of world, like, how do you look at that world through the prism of, um, of, 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 a, of a God that we know to be um, loving and instructive? Yeah, because, um... Another way to say it is deserts, if we want to use it as a metaphor now and say desert times in life where we feel grief or we feel lost or we feel bereft or confused, I would say that there are times where many of the normal things that we relied on for strength or control in life have been stripped away for one reason or another. Sometimes I use the term, you know, most of us when life is hard, we try to deploy the various levers that we feel that we can pull to try to make things get better. But when you're really in a desert, your levers aren't available. So now you're stripped down and things are stripped away. In a sense, we're left without the distractions. We're left without the many things that we feel that enable us to control life. And we do have this sort of um, um, deep, powerful encounter with God, because in a sense, 
God is all we have left. But in another way, I think God would want to say to us, but, but me as your sufficiency is the hoped for starting point. Me as your sufficiency is the hoped for foundation of your life. And sometimes the deserts leave us with none of the other things and they press us back to this crucible of faith. And I think for many of us in these times of life, we will either tend to turn away from God or turn more deeply toward God. And, and hard times will often have this sifting element to them. Um, and, and the deserts um, are also, another way to sort of describe the desert times is sort of like times of exile. Mm. And of course, there's lots of rich material in the scriptures about exile. And I've been speaking with people in our church a bit that COVID feels to a degree like an exile. Yeah. We, we are not in the familiar land and lives that we know. So what can we learn in the scriptures about how to live amazingly, even as flourishing people in the midst of exile? And, and that takes me, that's a whole nother story, but that takes me into Jeremiah mm -hmm. and how he told the people, even when you're in exile, I want you to plant gardens, build homes, in a sense, move into it. Right. Rather than spend all your energy emotionally saying, I want out. Mm. So that's a lot of rich stuff to consider. That, that's so beautiful. And, uh, um, you know, it, it, it reminds me that, you know, in our story in Genesis 21, um, the angel opens Hagar's eyes uh, and, and she sees a well. It doesn't say that God created a well. It just says that she sees a well, which implies that it was actually there all along. She just didn't realize it. And I think that you're right. And, and that's a beautiful insight from Jeremiah that, um, that, that just because we're in an exile, just because we're in the wilderness, um, doesn't mean there aren't opportunities uh, for flourishing, right? And, uh, and, and, you know, for so many of us, especially those of us who have, have found ways of, um, uh, of encountering this time uh, with, uh, with, 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 uh, with, with the disposition of, of living into it, um, have uh, found, you know, in, uh, incredible novelty and, and, and growth, um, even in times of, of, of deep challenge uh, and, and even pain. Um, you know, this goes from everybody who learned how to make sourdough bread uh, during the course of the pandemic to, um, to, to people who, you know, learn powerful life lessons um, from, you know, having to um, you know, uh, watch a loved one become ill and, and not be able to go and visit them in person. Um, so they're, you know, th those are obviously very difficult experiences and, and very different experiences, um, but nevertheless, uh, all uh, have within them, you know, opportunities for, for learning and, and, and growing beyond what we were, uh, even, uh, even as they are painful. Well, well um, Reverend David Dwight, uh, it has been so, so good to talk a little bit of Bible with you this morning, talk a little bit of faith with you this morning, talk a little bit of hope with you this morning. Um, yeah. So grateful for your wisdom and, and for your uh, partnership. Thank you, Michael. It's great to be with you. And uh, God bless you, my friend, and your people and your congregation as well. Thank you. You too. And uh, we say Shana Tova Umetuka. May you and yours and your entire congregation have a happy, sweet, and healthy new year. Thank you. All right. Take care, yeah. my friend. Bye.
This has been Socially Distant, Spiritually Close with Rabbi Michael Knopf. I hope that this episode has helped you find a little faith and hope, enrichment and uplift during this complex and challenging time. If you haven't already, please subscribe on iTunes or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. That way you won't miss an episode. Please also rate and review us on your podcast platform of choice so that others will have an easier time finding us and joining in the conversation. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is recorded during virtual gatherings of my congregation, Temple Bethel in Richmond, Virginia. Socially Distant, Spiritually Close is produced by Dr. Gillian Frank. Our theme music is composed and produced by Stephen Frost. Our cover art was designed by Judith Russian using a photograph by Miriam Aniel. I have been your host, Rabbi Michael Knopf. Until next time, take care of yourselves and each other.